Hey, good afternoon and good evening, everybody. Welcome into some market analysis and commentary here as we have just closed the markets. Uh, the bell has rung. Let's take a quick look at the numbers. Uh, gold had a very nice day. Uh, that was up uh, over a percent to 1828 futures basis. Silver was also up to $26.32. And uh, we're going to talk about gold and the back of the inflation data that we've gotten all week this week with our good friend Jesse Felder, who's on the road somewhere in the Rocky Mountain region of the state. So, uh, Jesse, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to know that you can't quit work even when you're on vacation. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's kind of combining vacation with work. So I'm on I'm on the road, but uh, I've been traveling around and interviewing people myself, and it's been a blast. So, yeah, oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, you know, it is nice to interview people in person after you know a year of not being able to be around people. So it is heartwarming. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been real nice. Uh, let, let's, get, let's get your sense here, Jesse, and what's happening. Let's really start with the topic at hand this week, and that is the inflation data we've gotten back. Uh, CPI and PPI data came in, basically more than doubled the, the estimates. Uh, we've seen some market reaction. We've also seen a little bit of Fed reaction from Jay Powell in front of in front of Congress today. Um, you know, from from the data, let's start with the data itself. What did the did this has this shine a light of uh, the transitory nature or not thereof the inflation? I think so. I mean, uh, there's two ways I can you know look at the CPI to try and understand how much of it is base effects, how much is you know transitory versus. Uh, you know, potentially seeing a, a, just a new trajectory in inflation. I really think that's that's probably what we're seeing right now. One is just instead of looking at the year-over-year change in CPI, look at the 24-month change. So instead of comparing, you know, current CPI uh, data to last year, which are you know depressed numbers, look at it compared to 2019. And and if you do that, Core CPI is is uh, you know hitting levels we haven't seen at all in the past decade. Even on a 24-month rate of change, we're seeing prices uh, accelerate at a level we haven't seen in a long, long time. Another way you know to look at it is basically just look at the trend in uh, you know core CPI over the last 10 years. And if you look at that, compare CPI to its trend, and I'm talking about like a linear you know regression. Um, you'll see that we we dipped down below the trend line um, during the pandemic. Yeah, so pr- prices were depressed as a result of the obviously the drop off in economic activity, but we really quickly regained trend, and now we are so far above the trend that set over the last ten years that it's hard to the the only way that this will prove transitory is that if essentially prices just started leveling off here, and and that's not inflation going from you know 5% to 2 or 3% it's you know going to 0% for a period of time to to regain that that trend line so to me you know that's a pretty clear signal that inflation has has uh, essentially uh, accelerated beyond what we've seen over the past 10 years and has set a new trajectory higher uh, and you know that's validated by the data if you look at you know even if a lot of the things pushing the overall CPI higher right now start to come back, and when I'm talking used car prices and, and uh, you know prices of airline tickets and things, uh, what's going to push inflation higher over the next you know six months at least is rents. And we're going to see uh, owners' equivalent rent, and all these things are going to really start 
taking up. You know, they've been showing very little in, in the way of price inflation, but they're huge. I think it's like a third of CPI or something is, is uh, you know, these rent and, and those equivalent rent and these things. And there are a lot of numbers showing rent uh, accelerating now 14, 15 percent year over year. So once those things start become reflected in the data, we're going to see that that yeah, there's no way CPI is going to come down to you know below two percent or any anything close. Will the um, with the mortgage and rent forbearance stuff that's kind of coming offline recently that will sounds like that will have a direct uh, impact on these inflate on this inflation data. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was referring to is you're seeing. Yeah. Now that the the uh, you know moratoriums are lifting in in a lot of places, we're seeing that uh, you know uh, landlords um, you know who are able to uh, you know put these places back on the market after people have been evicted, you know they're on average asking fourteen and a half percent higher rents than we're seeing over the last you know few months, and so that's not a little bit of rent increase, and that. That only makes sense, you know, with home prices up 15% year over year and in a lot of places much higher than that. Uh, you know, where I'm from in central Oregon, prices are up 40, 50% year over year, home prices. Um, and so with with that, you know, uh, backdrop, we're, you know, rents, rents can only really follow. Uh, and so that is going to be the story for CPI over the next six to 12 months is that uh, rents are going to take over where where a lot of these things are potentially falling off. Have you ever seen a time in your career where, say, something like rents uh, have risen and then come, you know, kind of and declined after an inflationary rise? I'm just curious. I'm just, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm just curious because, like, you know, if if this thing is transitory, and does that transitory mean it just levels off or does it come down? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I, you know, this is the, the problem with the word transitory, too, is, is that, you know, the truth of the matter is everything in life is transitory, right? Nothing lasts. And so, you know, does transitory mean that we're going to fall back to trend? I, I don't know. I don't think that's what Jay Powell means. I think he probably means we're going to fall back below 2% on PCE, which is their preferred measure. But I still even think that is not going to happen within the next couple of years. And, you know, you ask if I ever see anything like this. None of us have ever seen anything like this. The pandemic is something totally new to all of us. Um, and, but when you look back, John Authors has done some recent work for, for Bloomberg pointing out that when you look at previous pandemics, what usually happens is uh, you do have an inflationary impulse that doesn't fall away afterwards. And that's usually driven by higher labor costs. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. You look at all these jobs and, you know, everywhere I've traveled to, um, you know, I, I go to restaurants and, and different places and they're all shorthanded. Um, tons of them, you know, they're only open to half half dining uh, because they don't have the staff to be able to do, you know, open to full dining like they were, you know, before the pandemic. So I think that is also a, a major inflationary impulse we're going to see over the next six months or so is higher wage you know, wages are one of the things that the Fed really looks at to, and, and it's really what they're trying to engineer, uh, you know, is, to kind of combat the criticisms over wealth inequality and stuff. But higher wages are really what can create a price spiral, right? People making more money, they can afford to pay more rent, they can afford to pay higher prices at the gas pump and all these other things. And so, you know, 
that that's the type of thing that can create a, uh, a self-reinforcing upward uh, you know bias in prices generally and I think that's that's probably it's not probably it's exactly what we're seeing right now is, is very high pressures in the you know labor and, and wages yeah I, I, I do know exactly what you're saying that that service industry has a help wanted sign blanketed all over it. Uh, you know, you just mentioned it based on what you're seeing as you travel. Currently, in my previous travels the last couple of months, I've been seeing the same thing. Um, but that consumer psychology, the inflation hasn't necessarily been a, a speed bump. I mean, it seems like there's been so much pent-up demand that uh, consumers are just kind of brushing their shoulders off, it seems like. Yeah, well, I mean, that's another great point is what I think a lot of people don't appreciate was the the money that we sent to people's pockets essentially represented a dead jubilee because if you look at how you know that money was used people paid down their credit card debts they paid down all of their debts and so what does that essentially represent it represents you know no different than if the government had said okay we're going to pay off your credit card bill for you so what does that do that gives people the ability now to go out and spend a ton more because they have all this uh, available credit to them, and that is exactly what we're seeing. If you saw, if you look at the you know bank earnings and things that we're seeing, and uh, report from the Fed directly, uh, the surge in credit card and auto debt that we've seen over the past month is bigger than anything we've seen in a long time. And so, yeah, you know, debt jubilees are historically obviously very inflationary, and I don't think people realize that that's essentially what we saw when we when we cut checks to people. And a lot of people who didn't even, you know, lose their jobs and weren't even really in need of cash, you know, and were getting 1500 bucks or whatever and using that to pay down their credit cards, uh, you know, that, that essentially represented a debt jubilee, which is, uh, you know, enables a, a, a lot of uh, spending that we're seeing now and will probably over the next few months. You know, last week there was that headline from Wells Fargo that they were not going to initiate any new consumer lines of credit. Um, I don't know if you dug any digging that, but, you know, given that headline alone, what does that tell you in collaboration with you had just mentioned about the highest, you know, high rising in debt and credit card debt? Well, what what I'm seeing is, you know, I I didn't see specifically what you were talking about. I I know there's certain banks like HSBC and and places that are that are, you know, have been hurt, you know, by uh, the Archegos blow up and things and are having to tighten credit just to, to, you know, uh, shore up their overall, you know, lending business. But for the most part, um, other banks are so f- are, are more flush with cash than they ever have been. That's the result of Federal Reserve policy, just pumping money, um, you know, into the banks. The, the, all that buying up $120 billion of QE, where are they buying that from? They're typically buying it from the banks. And the, so the banks end up with a bunch of cash. They have to deposit at the Fed. What the Fed wants them to do with that that money is not necessarily a deposit the Fed, but start lending that to businesses. Now they have to stay within leverage ratios and things, so they're constrained in how much they can do that. Uh, but uh, from what we're seeing in terms of overall uh, credit, uh, credit cards and auto loans are, are certainly not being constrained in any way whatsoever. Uh- how about the markets, the general equity markets here in the U.S., the big boards? Are they being constrained at all? It's I mean, Things look – the breadth is really shallow here. Uh, it seems like uh, 
bigger moves uh, on based on the performance of just a few companies on these on these boards. And what are you what are you seeing here in the in the overall markets here, Jesse? Well, yeah, I mean, there's uh, yeah, my friend Jason Gepford has done a bunch of great great work on this. Um, Sentiment Traders, his his firm, um, he's pointed out that as the Nasdaq has made new highs over the past few weeks. It's done so on the the worst breadth in in the history of that index. So, I think he's pointed out, you know, in, in a thousand new highs, daily new highs that the index is set. Um, you know, we've typically seen a, a certain number of advancing stocks, percentage of advancing stocks on those days. Um, and recently, we saw the smallest percentage of advancing stocks on a day where the index hit a new high um, ever before. And that's just a testament to how narrow. This rally has become fewer and fewer stocks powering the, the broader index higher. You can see that in other measures like the percent of stocks within the NASDAQ or S&P 500 hitting or trading above their 50-day moving averages. You know, right now, the S&P has been hitting new highs over the last few days, but uh, less than half of the stocks within the index are trading above their 50-day moving average. Same thing for the NASDAQ. That's just a sign that, you know, when you have fewer than half the stocks in the index, uh, pushing it higher. I like to think of it as, you know, like a, a multi-stage rocket, right? At the beginning, you have these huge rocket thrusters taking off out of the lows, um, you know, boosting the market higher. But as the rocket, you know, gets higher, you know, in through the atmosphere, those rockets fall away and it loses thrust. Um, and eventually, you know, when it re-enters the atmosphere, uh, you know, gravity takes over and it, and it comes back down to Earth. I think that's we're kind of near that stage where the rockets are falling away, and those that's represented by a lot of the stocks that are no longer pushing up to new highs. They're not pushing the broader index, and and so uh, for me that's a helpful metaphor to think about. But also when you just look at to me a lot of the the popular meme stocks, we're seeing, you know, AMC is the probably the latest one I've been paying close attention to. It's starting to fall back to earth and fell below an important horizontal support. Just today, I think, uh, yesterday and today, and that's a sign that risk appetites to me are are just not as strong as as you'd want them to be if you're bullish on equities right now. Yeah, uh, speaking of meme stocks, the uh, the GameStop chart looks absolutely dreadful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, when I think a lot of people, you, you, so uh, there was a time, uh, you know, uh, it's a it's, it's a really good point because GameStop. Uh, AMC and Plug Power were at one time the three largest holdings in the Russell 2000. If you look at the Russell 2000 index, it hasn't made a new high since March. So it's literally been going sideways for months. And to me, this is a you know good visual representation of the, the lack of breadth in the market. So you have these, these indexes that are in S&P 500, NASDAQ, that are powered by like the big five, the, the, the five biggest stocks in the market. They're able to make new highs, but the Russell 2000 index hasn't. It's been going sideways. Another good representation is you look at the Dow transportation average compared to the Dow industrials. This is, you know, classic Dow theory. Uh, if the if the transports don't confirm the industrials in making new hire, either doesn't confirm the other, it's a potential warning sign. And we've seen the Dow industrials kind of be able to make new highs. Transports are nowhere near, uh, you know, being uh, confirming the industrials. But coming back to the Russell 2000, Plug Power's already down 60, 70% off its high. We've seen uh, AMC rolling over now. We're seeing uh, GameStop rolling over. That's, those were the three biggest holdings in the Russell. That's that's worrisome trend to me for risk appetites. And, and, and the Russell 2000 generally 
is probably a, a warning sign for for uh, risk appetites in the stock market broadly. Uh, you know, so it's a little bit of a gloom picture there when it comes to the big equity board. So let's talk about the safe haven of gold and precious metals. We'll stick with just gold and maybe I'll ask you about silver following. But uh, gold's got a little bit of momentum today. It was probably one of the best day, actually probably the best day it's had in uh, weeks, if not months. Uh, we are up to 1828, uh, right, sitting right at that 200-day average on the uh, on the future basis chart. So Give us your thoughts here on gold. You, you know, are we starting to? Is is this more of kind of a, about to be fear trade? Yeah, you know, I think gold to me just looks like a coiled spring right now. You know, uh, for a variety of reasons. Fundamentally, um, you, you know, we had a core CPI print of four and a half percent. I think that's the highest in thirty in three years. Or I'm sorry, three decades. Third. We haven't seen, years. yeah, uh, we haven't <laughs> seen core CPI print that high in a very long time. You look back in 1991, where was the Fed funds rate? Where was uh, you know the 10-year yield rates were so much higher? We're looking the 30-year yield is is two percent right now, so it's negative by 250 basis points. That is so massively bullish for the gold price. Typically, you know, with re- that relationship between uh, real rates. The real 30-year yield, the way I look at it, and and the gold price, gold should be screaming higher right now from that fundamental standpoint. I think the reason it's not is that institutional investors are betting on the fact that inflation will prove transitory. Now, if it doesn't, if it if inflation, like I I think it's going to do, you know, takes this transitory narrative and uh, you know uh, makes you know a mess of it. We're going to see institutional investors start having pouring into the gold market, and right now, tech, from a technical standpoint too, gold looks like it broke out to new highs last year and has just come back to test that breakout. Uh, and, and on a short term, that that you know, I see kind of that as like a a, a, pen, a bullish pennant pattern. It's formed since last summer, and uh, it, it now looks like it could be forming an inverted head and shoulders pattern, kind of within that larger bullish pennant pattern to me from you know technical standpoint and fundamental standpoint the gold price could break out to new highs you know pretty quickly here so the idea of institutions coming in into the gold market is really detrimental on this transitory nature God, i wish i had a dollar every time i had to say transitory yeah um <laughs> no i but think I, what, what what's that what is that timeline? that's what i was trying to get to what's yeah. that timeline look like you know well i think you know if 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 so you look at the city inflation surprise index and it's just ripping to new highs so not only is inflation pushing to new highs but it's so far above expectations right i think you know core cpi came in you know 50 basis points higher than the, the highest expectation uh, you know, last month. And so this inflation surprise index is is ripping higher as long as that's the case. And, you know, because everybody's been expecting that, you know, because of base effects, we're going to have higher inflation, but nobody expected it would be this high. And if we, if that keeps happening over, you know, the next month, two months, right? I mean, as you know, we're, we're entering into the seasonally strong period for precious metals and if we keep having hot CPI prints at the same time, you know, I'm hot meaning higher than expectations. Yeah, I mean, the 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 pressure for institutional investors to have some exposure to gold is just going to get greater and greater. And I don't think it'll take very much buying at all to, to push it to new highs. 
I think it's uh, half a percent of all the <laughs> all the money from big institutions is maybe into the precious metals. So even if you jump that by three quarters of a percent would be a huge jump in the metal itself. Yeah. No. Uh, what about silver here? Uh, this is interesting because it certainly isn't performing as well as gold. It's really choppy. Uh, with kind of around that $26 mark. Uh, you know, what? what is your thoughts here on silver, Jesse? Well, I mean, one of the charts that I'm watching closely is that silver to gold ratio. You look at a multi-year chart of that, and it looks to me like it want, there's, it's sitting right below, um, you know, critical resistance. Um, it, it, it looks to me like it really wants to break above that, but What's holding silver back, I think, is it's the high, it's you know the higher beta of the precious metals, and so sentiment towards precious metals is still negative right now, and so silver is going to bear the brunt of that. But also, if you look at you know what commodities are doing, and um, you know a lot of economically sensitive sectors in the stock market, people are are really have been betting against the reflation trade, and silver does have some industrial uses and things, and so I, I think silver is suffering from. Uh, you know, uh, negative sentiment towards precious metals plus uh, negativity towards the reflation trade, which you're seeing in materials stocks, you're seeing in cyclicals, you're seeing in all these things. And so silver is kind of suffering from those two two negatives right now. But I do think we're kind of probably near the end of this correction in the reflation trade and sentiment towards precious metals is going to be turning. So I'm looking for you know silver to to show some relative strength. Uh, I'm really bullish on gold, so I ha- have to be even more bullish on silver. Uh, and and you know I, I think that would you know uh, like I said I'm watching that one chart of the ratio between the two, and I really do think silver's close to breaking out uh, above that that uh, critical resistance right there. And that would be a, a really bullish sign for for both metals. Are are you adding to exposure for yourself in silver by chance? Uh, you know, I'm, I I think I've probably mentioned I own I like to uh, that uh, one Sprott fund, which is the uh, physical gold and silver. It used to be the um, Central Fund of Canada, and uh, I, you know I think they have maybe two thirds in gold and a third in silver. Don't you know? Don't hold me to that, but I think it's something roughly in that ratio, and and I think that's a you know. Uh, but, way for me that to play that that uh, feels comfortable all right uh jesse appreciate you spending some time with us while you're on your great american road trip so thank you so much for doing that for us hey thanks for the invite happy to do it yeah uh that's jesse felder from the felder report and uh maybe wave to him while he's driving by in his airstream or winnebago or (laughs) whatever he's whatever he's got on the road there but uh that's gonna be a wrap for us here this evening we'll be back tomorrow morning with the news briefing everybody be well The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.